you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Genesis 12. Um, my name is Ben Robertson. I'm the campus minister with Reform University Fellowship, or RUF, at the College of William and Mary. So parents, those of you who are parents of students, uh, I'm glad you're here, and I hope to, to get a chance to at least shake your hand after the service. I'll be uh, out in the narthex. Uh, but Genesis chapter 12 is our text for today, starting at verse 10. It's on page 9 in the pew Bibles, or should I say chair Bibles, I guess we don't have pews here. Um, as many of you know, I'm sure the book of Genesis uh, was written by Moses. Uh, a, an interpretive clue, a key to understanding the book of, of Genesis is this. Moses is writing to the Israelites. And if you know your Bible uh, from the book of Exodus, or maybe you just saw the, the cartoon, um, the Israelites were in prison, enslaved, so to speak, in Egypt for 400 years. And God had brought them out. He had delivered them. And yet they were struggling uh, with the temptation to want to go back. Back to Egypt once they got to the wilderness. And so Moses, their leader, writes the book of Genesis into that context. It's important to bear that in mind as we read it. And now he tells them a story about their father Abram. Uh, The context, Abram has just received the promise of God in chapter 12 in in the first few verses. But now we pick up at 10, just after he's been promised the presence of God in the land. And we read this. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham, or Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues, or literally plagued Pharaoh with plagues. Remember, if you're an Israelite, that might sound familiar. Because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would not merely be hearers of the word, but doers. We pray that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts, that you would speak to us by your spirit and through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. And so we look forward to this prayer being answered. Amen. A few years ago, I had a close friend. It was shortly after college, and he was engaged. 
and he was struggling uh, with this engagement. He, he thought very well of his bride-to-be. He loved her, was fully committed to marrying her. She was a beautiful young woman and very godly. He was a believer. And yet he said, I don't really know what to do. I'm having a problem. And it was this. Anytime he encountered his girlfriend from high school, he felt this strange tug at his heart. So he described it as like a fish hook, just sort of snagging at his shirt and, and, and pulling him back. He said, I don't know what to do. I told him uh, to stop listening to John Cougar Mellencamp CDs. Um, <laughs> any, any song about the nostalgia of the good old days of high school, but that's, that's all garbage and not true. Um, I didn't really tell him that. I didn't know what to tell him. I wasn't sure how, how he could get through it. See, he, he knew that there was something better for him in store here. See, what, the irony of it was that his, his girlfriend in high school, they didn't date for very long. It was awkward. They went to the prom. He stepped on her feet. Uh, it wasn't that great. It, was just, it just wasn't this wonderful relationship. And yet, for some reason, he was being drawn back. And eventually, he did get through it. And the way he got through it was simply this. He, he looked at his bride. He took a look at what was ahead he took a look at, at what was good, and it began to re- expose and reveal that, that he was being deceived in his own heart. And often, our life is very much like that. So we've been offered something better. We have promises of the gospel. If our faith is in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of him this morning, you've been called into his kingdom. You've been called to live that out, and you've been given promises of a future that is good, that is wonderful, that is marvelous, and yet there are times, frequently, when our hearts are drawn back. We want to go back to the old way. We want to go to a place of security that for some reason, it's, though it's not as good, it's somehow familiar and so appealing, as was the case for the Israelites, to whom Moses writes and tells them this story of their father Abraham that mirrors their situation so interestingly. And he gives them something that tells them how to persevere. He's going to give them three things. He's going to show them, first, God's presence. Second, God's protection. And third, God's provision. Let's, let's take a look back at the text. First, let's look at God's presence. Now, God doesn't make his presence in this uh, passage that we read explicitly known until verse 17. He's, he's absent. It's a story about Abram in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh, or plagued Pharaoh, and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. It's the only place where the Lord's name occurs, and yet if we look back to the promise that Abram had just received in, verse, in chapter 12, the first few verses, the call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The fundamental promise of the covenant, I emphasize it as I read. God says to Abram, the Lord, over and over again, I will, I will, I will. How will these promises come about? Abram, I will do it. I will be with you. I will go with you. And yet, as Abram enters Egypt, a famine comes, he comes into Egypt, and he acts as if God is not even there. After just having received the promise and being shown the land that he would have. 
A few years ago, uh, Dawn and I were on a camping trip with my brother and his family, and my nephew Joseph was, I think, just under uh, first grade, and we were at this place in Missouri called the Big River, which is not a big river. Um, I'm not sure it is a river. It may be a big creek, um, but we were swimming in the creek, and I was playing with Joseph, and we were crossing the creek, and, and the, the creek, at the, its depth got a, about up to here on me, about to my chest. And, and Joseph was crossing with me, and I was carrying him across the one spot where there was a slight current. And as we were getting halfway across the creek, uh, Joseph just started freaking out. I mean, he, he started flailing his arms and kicking and, and, and saying, no, no, no. I said, Joseph, I, I grabbed him up to me, I pulled him up higher out of the water, and I said, Joseph, what's wrong? And he said, I thought you had left. I was carrying him the whole way, and yet in this moment, as he looked at the water... And as he looked at the shore and as he, as he felt a little bit of the tug of the current, as mild as it was for his, his little first grade body, it was a lot. He forgot I was there. And then once he saw that I was, that changed everything. You see, so often in our life as we try to persevere, we, we act out in these acts of self-protection. Joseph, he didn't, he's not a very strong swimmer, so he thought he would try to swim. His act of self-protection, ironically, was putting him in more danger. He was pushing himself away from me. And we do that so often. And yet, how would our actions change if we knew that God were present? Let's apply it to evangelism, an area where Christians in general have a great deal of guilt and also a great deal of fear. At that moment, when you're meeting with your neighbors as you walk through the neighborhood, as you're out at your mailbox, and as the conversation comes and you broach that terribly awkward subject of religion. Our tendency, our jerk reaction is self-protection. It's to leave well enough alone and not cross that hard line. But if you knew that the Lord was with you, that this is not an issue of you will, but an issue of I will, how would that change? How would it change your life if you believe that God was with you, that he was present. You see, the presence of God is a wonderful thing, but if, if he's simply there and not act, acting, if I were standing alongside of Joseph, but let him float downstream, that wouldn't help him very much. So Abram tells us more, or Moses tells us more about Abram. He shows us not just God's presence, but God's protection. Look at verse 10. There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know you're a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Abram is not imagining things. He's not, he's not suffering from a paranoid delusion the situation to which they are entering is dangerous. He has a beautiful wife, and he's entering into the realm of a king, a pharaoh, who can do whatever he wants and can have Abram's head. He's in a very dangerous situation, and yet God protects him from that enemy. He protects him from the enemy from the outside. I was reading a book a few years ago um, where a, a man named Dr. Brand 
went uh, on a journey and he visited a colony of what we would call lepers, traditionally. I can't remember the technical name of the disease, but this particular brand of leprosy, the problem is not that there's uh, an infection of some sort, but actually that the people who, are, who suffer from this illness feel no pain. They do not experience sensations of pain. Now the problem then comes, and that sounds like a, a delightful way to live. Um, however, the problem comes when something hits them or strikes them, uh, an animal or an, or an insect or something uh, uh, physically attacks them, they have no idea that that's happening. So in this third world country where he was visiting, things would happen uh, because things were not sanitary or there would be animals in the, in the house or, or insects, and people would be attacked and they would have no way of defending themselves. They, were, they, they had no protection from these external enemies. Whereas if they had, had a sensation of pain, they would know that something was hurting them and they could stop it. But they never knew why. Because they never felt the pain. See, pain, ironically, this thing that we don't like, was actually a form of protection. Protection from those external enemies. God protected Abram from a real threat to his life. A real enemy, both in the physical world of famine and also the Pharaoh himself. He protects him from enemies without. If you knew that God was protecting you from your enemies, how would that change your life? We have personal enemies, perhaps. We live in a a fairly civil society where uh, people are rarely openly enemies with one another in terms of open hostility. And yet you know it is there subtly. That coworker who is incredibly condescending to you because they know of your faith. Or take it further, we do, in fact, the scripture teaches, have an enemy, a spiritual enemy who is against us. And that can, that can damage our perseverance so severely where we are afraid to go forward because we don't know what's going to happen. Will God be with me? Will God protect me? But God here protects Abram from the most powerful person perhaps in the world at this time. And that his life is spared. He isn't killed. But more than that, he, he, God protects him from the enemy without, but he also protects him from the enemy within. Which to me is far more remarkable. Carry on, verse 13. Abram says to his wife, Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. That is a euphemism. I think you know what it means. I will not explain it in detail because of the age of some of the people in this room. Do you get what's happening here? Father Abraham, who has many sons hands over his wife to another man. Can you imagine? This is awful. It's unbelievable. It's unheard of. To save his own neck. But not only that, not only is he committing an indecent act, but what was the promise to Abram? 
that he would have offspring and that God would be the God of those children and their children and that those children would be a blessing to the whole world. See, if you're an Israelite and you're reading about Father Abram, the root of all of you, see, Abram's not just committing this horrible act of adultery in one sense. He's jeopardizing the promise of God. He's, he, everything that God has promised hangs on this. The patriarch is giving away the matriarch. See, in this situation, yes, uh, Pharaoh is Abram's enemy, but Abram is his own worst enemy. Back to the leper colony and Dr. Brand. As you can imagine, if you couldn't feel the sensation of pain, not only would it matter when things are attacking you and you can't feel them, but he describes situations, I'll give you one example, where he saw people in this village, he saw a man reach into a fire and grab a roasting potato and carry it over to a table to serve the food. He had no idea. He had no idea that what he was doing was destroying his hand. The problem with the leper colony was not so much things from without, but they themselves were their own worst enemy. And they didn't even know it. And the man would come later with blisters on his hands, of course, and not know where they came from. It was caused by the leprosy. Because he didn't know. And oh, so often we do this. In the foolishness of our pride, in presumption, we reach our hand into that fire to prove that we're right. Do you believe this about yourself? That Not just that there's spiritual warfare at hand that you need protection from, but you need protection from yourself. You are your own worst enemy. Let's apply it back to evangelism again. Do you honestly believe that this is true? That you're a person who left your own doing will destroy yourself? Or are you aware of it? I'll give an example. A friend of mine, uh, a friend of a friend actually owned a restaurant in South Georgia. And it, it happened, so happened that a lot of the staff that worked for his restaurant happened to be homosexuals. Just happened to be the place where a lot of them went. And they had never read the Bible. He was a believer. He said, hey, let's have a Bible study. What do you guys want to study? Would you be willing to do that? And they said, sure. We've never read the Bible. Kind of curious about it. Know a lot of Christians. Want to know what makes you all tick in the buckle of the Bible belt of South Georgia? So they started reading through Genesis. So the first Bible study, he just said, just read as far as you want and then we'll talk about it. You know what they said? I can't believe that there are sinners in this book. I can't believe how bad these people are. Probably they read as far as chapter 12, if not further. They've already read through Lot. Let me ask you a question. Why do they think, why did they ask that question? Why didn't they know? We could say because they never read the Bible, and sure, that's true. But very so often, I mean, they live, they live in the, there were so many churches in this town we lived in. You want to know why they didn't know that? Because Christians, very often, rather than presenting their blistered hands, put them in their pockets. Because we don't believe that we've got a problem. And we don't believe that that's part of the gospel, too. 
Do you believe this? Can you show your hands to your neighbors and say, look at what God has done for me. He has protected me from myself in Jesus Christ. But not only that, we see God's presence, we see His protection, but even more. He doesn't just protect, He provides. God's provision. Look down in verse 20. Pharaoh discovers what has happened after the Lord shows up. He afflicts uh, Pharaoh and his people with plagues. Verse 20, And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning Abram, and they sent him away with his wife and everything that he had. Everything that he had. What did he have? Back up to verse 16. Remember, Abram enters the story in a famine. He's got nothing. He doesn't even have food. Verse 16. For her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. It's interesting that Moses takes the point to say he didn't just have donkeys. He had male donkeys and female donkeys. He didn't just have servants. He had male servants and female servants. He, he draws out the list to make a point that Abram got loaded down. The very person that he fears is going to take his life loads him up. And again, think about it. If you're an Israelite, what did you just do? You just left the land of Egypt, and what just happened? Pharaoh was plagued with, fa- with plagues, and then what happened right before you left? The Egyptians loaded you down. You plundered the Egyptians. And Abram had done the same thing before them. In spite of himself. In spite of a plan that didn't really work very well, because what if Pharaoh had found out anyway that she was his wife? It's amazing. That's grace. God's provision in the face of our sin. Some of you know I'm, I'm an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And one of my favorite players growing up was a, a player named uh, David Palmer. He, he wore the, the jersey number two. And uh, people had the phrase, the deuce is loose, because he's number two. And he would, he would run, he would run uh, kickoffs back for touchdowns. He was an amazing player. Um, but when he really shone, and if, if you watch football, you know that some of the most remarkable plays happen when this happens. There's a lineup, something happens, but the play doesn't go the way it's supposed to. It's a busted play. Somebody misses their assignment, the blitz is on, things are falling apart, or there's a fumble, and you think, oh no, we're going to lose yardage, we're going to lose the ball, we're going to lose the game. But sometimes in those busted plays, that's when the really great players shine through. And that was true for David Palmer. There were times when he would, the rush would be on, and you would think everything is lost, and then he would cut one way, juke another, spin another, break a tackle, and he'd be gone. Unbelievable. In the middle of this busted play, he would just prove himself. Let me ask you a question. What's your busted play? It might be a situation in your life. Maybe you think, I always had more hopes for what I would accomplish. Your children are gone, and you think, things turned out okay, but it's really sort of, I'm breaking even. It's a bust. Or maybe you thought, you know, I really always thought I'd be married by this time, or I thought I would have X number of children, and it's just not working out for me. Or I always thought that college would be the time in my life when 
I would grow so much spiritually or I would have all these great friends and everything would turn around for me. And it just doesn't seem to be working out. Or maybe it's a personal issue. It's a sin. Maybe you're not the person who hides the blistered hands in their pockets. Maybe you're the one who just can't look up from them. And that's all you see is the busted play. We have news for you in the gospel, and that's that God can take that and turn it around and do something amazing with it. Look at what he does here with Abram. He comes in empty. He blunders his way through the story. And at the end, he walks away, not empty, but full, blessed, overflowing. If we're going to persevere, we have to know that in spite of ourselves, God is the God who takes broken and busted plays and produces great things out of them. He provides. Not just physically, not just financially, but He has provided for us in Christ far beyond our wildest imaginations, and He can continue to do that for you. I'll close with this. There's a story about a, a Native American tribe. Don't ask me afterwards about the historicity of it. I'm not sure. can't tell you what book to find it in, but the story goes like this. There was a right of manhood for the, for the young men in the tribe when they would be around the age of 12 or 13. And the men in the tribe would take the young men in the tribe and they would lead them out into the woods alone. I don't know if you've been camping very much or if you've spent much time in the woods, but if you go deep into the woods at night alone, it's a very strange experience. You hear noises that you never would have noticed before, and the young men would be called to sit, not sleep, but sit. They had no knife, no weapon, no food. And the right of manhood was to spend the night in the woods alone. Through the night they would hear noises, they'd hear rustling, they'd wonder, is that a squirrel or is that a bear? Because you can't really tell the difference when it's just you. But in the morning, as the sun would come up and the the mist would clear, as the sun was sitting, Indian style, staring ahead, he would see in the distance through the woods his father holding his spear who had been standing there the entire night. And as he looked around, he would see all all the fathers in the tribe surrounding him forming a circle around him, that those noises that he heard, that all the while, his daddy was there. And that's how they taught their sons to be men. Not to go it alone, not to persevere through the night in your own strength somehow, but knowing that your father is there to protect you, to be with you, to provide for you. And that is how we continue in this life. Trusting in God, trusting in the gospel, that he has not left you alone. And he will go with you. And he will bless you. He will be your God. And you will be his people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have shown us so much. You showed it to your people Israel in the story of Abraham. And you've shown it to us in the story of Israel. And you've shown it to us so much more in the story of Christ. Thank you, Jesus for the redemption you have accomplished for us. May we rest in that. May we persevere in that. May we trust you. Be our strength. Be our guide. Be our God. In his name we pray. Amen.